So it's Memorial Day weekend. And we know what Memorial Day is, right? We remember those who've sacrificed so we could be sitting right here talking together in church. And so as Americans, we're really proud of that. In fact, when I wrote this, I didn't even think about it being Memorial Day. But there's things that go with being an American, right? In fact, don't forget now, this is an interaction situation. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions to help me guide this conversation. But in fact, y'all y'all gave me these topics as we walk through this series, but we're still having our conversations on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus walked with his disciples, opened the scriptures with them after he was resurrected. And so we're talking about life in faith. And the conversation this morning is about individualism and materialism and how that works within the Christian faith. Somebody brought that one to the forefront when we were talking about this. But help me fill these blanks in. That's what I'm saying, all this to say that. As Americans, we... Fill that in for me. Love stuff. Love stuff. There's a George Carlin routine about that one. Bigger house for more stuff. As Americans, American, Amer, or you might say it this way, Americans fill in the blank. Americans are always, in America we do this. Help me out. What's that? Take a lot for granted. Take a lot for granted, okay, all right. Think we're exceptional. There's exceptionalism for sure. Okay. What else? Freedom. Freedom. Yep. Come together in time of need. Come together in a time of need. Right. Pull together, maybe. Okay. What else? This is good. Americans are known for. Anything else? Football. Huh? Football. football. <laughs> but not the right cast. Not really football, right? <laughs> I was going to say saluting the flag, uh, but that's not always true. It's not always, not always in anymore either, is it? But I do think those who sacrificed their lives gave us the freedom mm -hmm. to salute the flag or not. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we, would, we couldn't salute it if they hadn't done what they did, right? Okay. What else? Huh? I, patriotism, is that what she's saying? I just can't hear. Yeah, patriotism, for sure. I mean, it's Memorial Weekend. I'm not trying to color the discussion with that particular part of the weekend, but we're talking about American culture, right? So our cult, we love stuff. We will come together in a crisis. We've seen that, for sure. But day in and day out, we're taught what by our culture? What are we supposed to do? What does the world sell you on? Let me ask it that way. Believe me, you are being sold stuff, whether you realize it or not. Stuff. <laughs> Anything else? Any thoughts? What about we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps? You ever heard that phrase? You ever heard that figure of speech? Okay. We're rugged individuals, right? What, what, is, what is all the stuff in the media about rights? I mean, with the tragedy that happened in Texas, there's arguments about gun rights, right? It's our stuff. 
I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to make my own way. The American dream, right? Three-bedroom house with a white picket fence and two and a half kids and a 401k is the American dream, apparently. But entrepreneurialism, plowing the road, Yeah, right? And You're supposed to. Yeah. I control my own destiny. That's right. Somebody can tell me what to do, but that's not what's in the book. That's not what's in the book. And thus ended the sermon. See you all next week. <laughs> but the culture does teach us that we're supposed to figure it out. Right? You too can be a millionaire. You get a car. You get a... Quoting the famous theologian Oprah there for a second. You, in other words, you're supposed to make your own way in the world, right? I mean, that's what the culture kind of says. But not only just make your own way, get all that you can. I mean, you kind of started with that, right? We have, we're all about our stuff. You're rated based on the size of your paycheck, pocketbook, fortune, promotion at work, status, followers on Instagram. I don't know. I mean, these are the markers of success, right? That the world tries, to, at least the American culture tries to tell you, you're nothing unless you do these things. Am I right about that? Am I off? And you are being formed by something, whether you realize it or not. I mean, if you don't think you're being shaped by stuff, put your phone down for three days. Could you do it? Anybody give up their phone for Lent, by the way? <laughs> No way, right? Or social media, at least, for Lent, you know? You're going to have, like, withdrawal compulsions about two days into that or a day into that, if that long. You're shaped and you are formed by stuff, whether you realize it or not. And so these messages that we're talking about, get more stuff, pull yourself along. Americans are known for, we have rights. These things are all being, you're being taught this stuff. The culture is teaching you this. And at the heart of it is something called individualism. And let me, defi- let me define it for you, all right? This is literally like the Wikipedia definition of individualism, so bear with me. The habit or principle of being independent and self-reliant. Is that not American? The habit of pr- or principle of being independent and self-reliant. Now, is that a bad thing? To be independent and self-reliant? Is that a bad thing? I wish my seven-year-old would be a little more independent and self-reliant <laughs> without burning our house down by not being self-reliant. <laughs> Is it a bad thing to be independent and self-reliant? Jordan. Right, sure. Built my own car, and I haven't done that. 
Yeah, you, you have to, you'd have to move to Fiji, right? make your own food, grow your own food, sew your own clothes, be 100% independent. It's exactly right. But independence in the sense of, I think, tied to self-reliance, like nobody tells me what to do, uh, which you always have a boss, by the way. Younger folks, even if you don't think so, you have a boss. Somebody is your boss, especially if you get married. Somebody, you never don't have a boss, right? I mean, you can get to the top of the company and you still have shareholders. You have a boss somewhere in the world. So you're right, Jordan. You're not 100% self-reliant, making your own food, sewing your own clothes, completely independent that way. But individualism is this belief that you ought to be, right? It's striving to be independent and self-reliant. And I don't think it's evil. I mean taking care of yourself, being able to dress yourself in the morning and go to work is self-reliance, right? Being able to cook your own food that you had to buy at the grocery store is a degree of self-reliance. We find out when the supply chain gets disrupted how self-reliant we are. When <laughs> the stuff you want is not in the grocery store is kind of what Jordan's saying, right? I mean, to some degree, you're dependent on somebody for something. But we're taught in America, self-reliant, independent, strong, be a man's man, right? I don't think it's necessarily evil, but an individualistic society or societies that prioritize the needs of an individual over the needs of a group as a whole. In this type of culture, people are viewed as an, in an independent way, and social behavior tends to be directed by attitudes and preferences of individuals. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Did I just describe American culture after our little conversation, right? The tendency is towards independence, social behavior directed toward attitudes and preferences of individuals. Now, if that's individualism, has it affected our faith? Has it affected the church? And if so, how? Membership nationwide is down. Okay. So being a member of something has receded for sure, right? People go, I mean, people go to church for seven or eight years. They're still not members. <laughs> if I'm stepping on toes, sorry. So has, has individualism entered or influenced the church, Little C Church? Not necessarily a connection, but the church. Okay. Yep. Ooh. Drop kids off and go work out at the gym. So they were the church was childcare to meet their needs. Tends directed by attitudes and preferences of individuals. Do you think church practice or church culture at all is shaped around individual? I don't like what that preacher talked about last Sunday. I'm going to a different church now. They won't let me drop my kids off so I can go to the gym. I'm going to go to a different church now. <laughs> it's a preference. Yes, Jordan. Well, okay, I do think um, you talk about loving individualism a few scriptures ago. I do think yeah. there is, you know, an attitude. And it's, uh, um, I, I don't know if this is specific to America or the United States. I think, I guess it's a kind of universal, just certain attitude. 
Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Stiff upper lip, right? How, how does everybody answer the question, how are you doing at church? That's right. That's what you're talking about, right? Everybody's like, here's the walls. I'm going to church. Everything's happy. The world's blowing up at home. But I'm going to worship Jesus for a little while and get my dose and go home. That's one of the ways it does it. But listen to these phrases and see if you've ever said them or heard them in church before. You read me? How am I growing spiritually? I go to this church because this is what I get from it. Or I really like about it. The God I know would never. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Because if it does, it would cost me something. And I'm adding that little tag there, right? Um, I have my beliefs. You have your beliefs. Uh, don't force your beliefs on me. Sound familiar? Did you catch the key theme running through all those statements? Yes. <laughs> Could it be the word I? <laughs> or me? That's right. So has individualism shaped the way we look at Christian, our Christian faith? Absolutely. I'm here at this church because of what I get from it. I don't think the Bible teaches that. If you teach contrary to that, I will go down to the street to find the one that fits the way I believe. This is following exactly along my study from the American Academy. Perfect. Yep, I've heard, I've, heard that, I've heard that conversation before. One of the reasons that gang membership is so prevalent is why. It's the belonging that is involved. It's the being a part of something that's appealing, right? It's family. Yeah, yeah. I think Sally's going to finish my sermon for me today. No, that's good. You're absolutely right. So if we're walking through our faith walk saying, I, 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 what about your prayers? What do they sound like? God can, I have. God, will you do this for me? Uh-oh. Now, is any of this bad? By the way, I'm making it sound like it's terrible. 
But is it wrong to ask God for stuff for yourself? Of course not. Is it wrong to seek out your own spiritual growth? Of course not. Is it right? Jordan, I think Jordan makes a great point about vulnerability or about wanting to grow or being transparent with others and being able to talk in front of others about what's going on. He said taking responsibility for what you're doing wrong. Right? So there's some, there is some strength to individualism in the sense of responsibility. That was a great word, Jordan. Taking responsibility for your faith walk. But that's a far cry from customizing your faith walk to suit your interests. Remember how I defined individualism? The habit or principle of being independent and self-reliant, an individualistic society prioritizes the needs of the individual over the needs of the group. People are viewed in an independent way and social behavior tends to be directed by the attitudes and preferences of the individuals. I don't know where this happened in church history, if it's a modern America phenomenon or whatever, but our consumer culture has made us Christian consumers. The consumeristic culture that we live in has influenced our faith to make us Christian consumers. That's why there has to be a Christian version of this. There has to be a Christian version of that. It's a whole... Christian is a marketing division. Just go to Walmart in October. It's not Halloween stuff. What are they already selling? Christmas stuff. To who? Christians. They're already marketing December to you in October. Black Friday. <laughs> so you can get your Christmas gifts. This movie is a Christian movie, so Christians will buy it. You go into a book... Guys, Christian books... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting on a little, little rant here. Go into a Christian bookstore. How many variations of the Bible are there? Have you ever noticed that? It's not just, here's the Bible... It's here's the Bible for firefighters. Here's the Bible for teenagers between 13 and 16. Here's the Bible for women. Here's, here's the Bible you read for 4th of July. Like, they've got a target devotional or something or cover of the Bible for every segment of society. It's the Bible. <laughs> Why do you have to remarket and repackage the Bible to get the 36-year-old twice-divorced version of the Bible for them to buy it? It's the Bible. But they know if it says, you know, the, the, the Hale State devotional Bible, that 20,000 Mississippi State fans will buy it. It's the Bible. You can, should buy it because it's the Bible. Christians are market. And we think, to some degree, that we have to make Christian versions of the culture so people will accept Christianity. We're allowing the culture to dictate how we do outreach and mission. Or how we live out our faith. I, I probably have told this joke before because I've told it before multiple times. But there's a guy named, uh, I can't think, Brian. There's a comedian. Can't give him credit because I can't remember his name right now. But it's not, this is not my joke. And it's a stupid joke, but I'll give it anyway. He's talking about microwaving your, he, did you can microwave Pop-Tarts? Brian Regan, thank you. There's the proper, you, there's instructions on Pop-Tarts to how to microwave them. And he rightly points out, if you need to microwave your Pop-Tart, it is time to loosen your schedule. <laughs> right? I mean, if, you, if toaster's not fast enough for you, you're really bent toward having stuff on demand, is really what he's talking about, right? 
you got movies on demand. You got um, anything you need on YouTube, how to, how to change the, the tire on your car, Google it. Like everything is on demand, right? Your Pop-Tart's not toasting fast enough for you in the toaster, microwave it. I want it and I want it now. Do we ever approach God that way? I asked for this last week, God, why haven't you, you're way behind Pop-Tarts on delivery here. You ever get mad at God because he's not moving fast enough for you? Because he's not moving fast enough for you? Do you hear the inherent cultural formation in the way we talk about God and church and spiritual life and prayer? By the way, I'm preaching to myself here, all right? And it's, and it's consumer this way. You go do your job, your real job, your day job, secular job. You take care of your family. You take care of your finances. And church is on the list with your other things that you do. I'm going to consume church this weekend, or I'm going to go boating because it's Memorial Weekend. Or I'm going to choose to participate or not. I'm going to choose... I'm going to choose to participate or not. We have our spiritual little compartment, financial compartment, career compartment, and we keep God over here in a box for when we want to consume it. Guilty. I'm just as guilty. I'm only preaching to myself, right? Can you imagine walking up to Jesus and saying, how's your spiritual life? Like he had a secular life and a spiritual life? Everything we do is spiritual. Everything is worship. Everything is for God or not. And seeking things for yourself doesn't make you evil. But when it takes the number one priority in your life, it does become evil. It becomes an idol. When Sunday morning or a small group or Bible study becomes an activity that's an option versus a way of orienting your life, then something else has become more important. Now, I used to say this as a youth pastor. Are you going to hell if you didn't read your Bible yesterday? No. Whew. Right? You're not. But should you want to and should you read your Bible? Of course. I mean, how might the things we're talking about when it comes to church and spiritual life from an individual perspective, how might that run counter to the church and following Jesus that Jesus said. Let me, I said a few phrases that we say all the time. Here's what Jesus said about things like this. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The world will hate you because of me, Matthew 10, 22. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for someone else, John 15, 13, and the perfect verse on a Memorial Day weekend. He who seeks to gain his life shall lose it, but whoever gives up their life will keep it. Luke 17, 33. If anyone will come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Where is, this, where is following Jesus oriented? It's not towards what you get out of church. I can tell you that. The first shall be last. Individualism says, I will get mine, you will get yours, and we will compete for the rest. <laughs> Jesus says, the first shall be last. The person who sacrifices himself for somebody else will gain. 
the person who puts others first. So here's individ being individual, having responsibility, like Jordan said, taking responsibility is right. Seeking God for yourself is encouraged. It's what you ought to do. You should be seeking God. But if you think you're not being formed by the culture you walk around in, you're deceiving yourself. But individualism in our spiritual walk does this damage. Individualism makes mission optional. You ever heard somebody say, that's not my gift or that's not my passion when it comes to a church volunteering? You said your church had a hard time following volunteers, right? If you're in it for what you want from it to consume spiritually, then mission's optional to you because somebody else will do it. Um, that's what we pay the pastor for. You ever heard that one? <laughs> right? That's not my gift. That's not my passion. That's what we pay the youth pastor to do, work with teenagers. I'm not, that's, not my, that's not my thing. I don't have time to serve at church because, right? Mission becomes an option. It becomes something if you have time. It becomes something if you actually care about it. And you get a church full of people that have pet individualistic mission projects that they pursue and chase after. I had a friend who yeah, was very active in prison ministry. Nothing wrong with that. That's right, that's right. And by the way, I'm not saying you should serve in every mission the church puts out there. That is not what I'm getting at, okay? <laughs> How dare you not participate in prison ministry, Sally? That's not what I'm saying. All right, so don't misunderstand. But the, that's not my gift. The my is in there again, right? You do have a particular calling. But if you're in it for yourself, what becomes optional is serving in any way, shape, fashion, or form. Right? Because it's, not up, it's up to me where I serve and how I serve. You follow me? It's not that you have to do everything because the pastor asks. That's not what I'm, I don't mean to imply that. But it becomes something that's an option for you to do, something you don't have to do. Because somebody else will do it or whatever. Individualism makes spiritual disciplines optional. I'm not good at that, or I don't like that one, or that one makes me uncomfortable. Wait, fasting? If anything attacks, attacks, attacks your spiritual idols in your life, try fasting. We live in Starkville. There's way too many restaurants on every corner to fast as a spiritual discipline. Are you kidding me? But what does fasting do? It actually reorients you into the fact that Jordan was absolutely right. You can't be 100% independent. You're dependent on eating. It reminds you of how dependent you are on the provision of food and water to survive and a God that gives it to you. But, if, but if, if it's all about me and my agenda, then the spiritual disciplines are optional too. I don't have time. I don't like that one. That one makes me uncomfortable, so I'm just not going to practice it. I would challenge you to pick a spiritual discipline that makes you most uncomfortable. Silence and solitude is a challenge. If you're used to a radio on, a TV playing, a podcast going, something somewhere, or if you're an extrovert, silence and solitude will rack your brain, man. If you live to be around people, practice the discipline of, spiritual, of silence and solitude. You will have to work at it. 
If you're addicted to your cell phone, it'll be a challenge. If money is your idol, practice giving more than you've been giving. It'll tweak you. I need to. I don't want to. Good. I don't want to. Whatever that spiritual practice is means it's pushing that boundary of where you are spiritually. It's attacking the ingrained consumer that you have. Some pastors preach the lectionary. You know what I mean by lectionary? It's a script that the church has that says this verse on this Sunday, this passage on this Sunday, this passage on Sunday. If you're a pastor, that can be a challenge because a, ver- a passage will come up on a Sunday that's not your favorite or you don't know how to preach it. And you have to follow the discipline of preaching it if you follow the lectionary. It forces pastors to preach outside the box of their same five favorite verses. <laughs> it's a stretch. If you read a Bible plan versus picking the passages you've always read that you can understand, it'll stretch you. Go do some quiet time in Leviticus and let's talk about that. It'll stretch you because it's not what you're used to. And so it challenges the, I'm just going to take in what I want to take in. I'm going to allow something outside of myself dictate how I grow spiritually and what I get from God freaks us out. Especially if we're individualistic. Serving in children's ministry when kids terrify you will be a stretch. You might find out you're called. By the way, that's the counter thing on this calling thing. is You don't know unless you try whether you're called or not. So anytime somebody goes, that's not my calling, I go, how do you know if you've never done it? I made a C in speech in college. Talking five minutes terrified me. Clearly that's not a problem anymore. In public or five minutes. <laughs> right? You don't know unless you experiment spiritually. I don't mean other faiths. I mean with things that will stretch you. But if you're only worried about what you want, those other things will become options you don't have to take advantage of. Individualism will make... Uh-oh, he's talking about money. Individualism makes giving optional. If your primary concern is building your bank account, you'll give God some if you have some left over. It's an option. If all of your practices and all of your mindset is built towards building your kingdom, eh, giving's an option. That was an Old Testament thing, whatever excuse is. I have financial goals, too much debt, I will one day. Uh Uh-oh. The very practice of giving will make you generous. Think about that. Giving something will make you want to give more. If you don't believe me, it's another one of those disciplines you're going to have to experiment with. It'll stretch you. And by the way, you'll realize, wait a minute, I still have enough money. Because God tends to honor leaning into a discipline like that. It's amazing. You think when you write your budget, there's no way we could give 10%, 5%, whatever, you, whatever you're moving towards spiritually that way. And then you get the end of the month, you're like, oh, we did it. How did we do that? You won the lottery in the meantime. I don't know. Like, it's amazing how God expands your capacity when you give it back to him in the first place. Now, if serving is optional and spiritual disciplines are optional and giving is optional because I'm worried about the practices that build my kingdom, let's contrast that with a little passage in the Bible, shall we? This is Acts 2.42. One of my favorite passages in all scripture. Because Luke 
doing what he does, transitioning from one story to the next, gives a summary of everything that just happened. If you go read Luke's stuff, Luke's Gospel Acts, he'll do that. He'll have a story, and then toward the end of the section, he'll have a little summary, right? So he's been talking about the early church, and then he gives this beautiful summary at the end of Luke, Luke 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute to all and any, as any who had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having, having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Does that sound like a church that's worried about individual stuff? This is the very beginning of the church, right? This is the early, 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 early church. Fresh off, still listening to the original 12 preach, right? And they devoted themselves to teaching. That'd be coming to hear a sermon, to fellowship. We have Wednesday night fellowships with food. And to prayer. They were devoted to it. It wasn't an option. Those spiritual disciplines were a devoted part of how they operated. They sold possessions to distribute to all who had need. They gave. They made sure, this is the trippy thing. And we do, I think we do come together. You said this about as Americans, right? But as a church, as First Methodist too, to see a need and to rise up to meet that need. This doesn't mean you can't own anything. You can read this passage and go, see, they were, it was communal. Everybody just brought all their stuff. No. They, did, they, they would sell something if they had to to make sure that no one had need. That's pretty generous. That's beyond like tithing. Oh, I got some money out of my salary. Wait, wait, wait. We still need to do this? Hey, I got this I can sell. We need to meet that need. You were saying this about Chan's book or meeting the community, right? Like, what do we need to do to bring an end to certain things in our community? What's it going to take? That was their approach. And not, and by the way, not just the church, right? Because it says they were, had the goodwill of all the people. One of the things that drew people to church, the early church the most, was its generosity and meeting of needs, particularly in the face of deep financial challenge and heartbreak and oppression from the Roman Empire and not knowing where their next meal was coming from. Hey, you, you haven't eaten in three days? We're having a party at Matthew's house. Come eat with us. Why? Because Jesus told us to be generous. That was their evangelism strategy. It was still fried chicken even in the second century. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. We're having, a, we're having a potluck. Come eat with us. And then we'll tell you about why we want you not to have to worry about food. Day by day they gathered in the temple, not just on Sunday. Actually, not even just on Saturday at that point. They spent as much time together as possible. They gathered for Bible as much as they could to learn from each other, to hear the apostles, to worship together, to fellowship together, to find out what the needs were so that they could meet them. And then I love the tagline at the end. Day by day God added to their number. 
not new visitors on Sunday. Every day the group grew. Every day. Why? I would want to be a part of that. Wouldn't you? Hey, Peter's preaching Sunday. He's better than Thomas. Let's go hear him. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, the apostles preaching again today in the synagogue. Let's go hear him. By the way, they got food. I haven't eaten it in 12 hours. What about you? You know what I mean? I'm, they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. By the way, that was the Bible. We're talking about affluence in American culture. We've said this before. The definition of rich in Jesus' day was the ability to store food for the next day. The Bible, New Testament times definition of wealth is how many meals you had stockpiled. How big is your fridge? How stocked is it? We're affluent, guys, by far. We're not worried about where lunch is coming from. Some of you are already thinking about where you're going. Yeah. They don't know where their next meal's coming from. Here's the here's the irony in all of this, just to drive the point home. Individualism says, I gotta get what's mine. And the way that it influences our spiritual walk is we make it about us too. I want my prayer requests answered. I want to share the way I want to share. I want to participate in the things I want to participate in. I, 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 I. But I want, and you may have a genuine desire to grow spiritually. And that's what you're trying to do by, cons by consuming those things. Right? True. Is it possible that by being an Acts 2 church, by giving away, by serving, of your, by serving yourself and sacrificing, and being with others, for the sake of others, is how you actually gain the spiritual growth you're seeking. By not pursuing your interests, but by pursuing the goodwill and the benefit and the meeting of the needs of everyone around you, you that's where you and how you actually grow spiritually the way you want to. First shall be last and the last shall be first. Take up your cross and follow me. The person who loves his friend the most is the one who gives his life for them. The practice of the Christian faith is not what can I gain or what can I consume. It's what can I give away? How can I meet a need? How can I transform? How can I demonstrate God's love to someone else? And that is how you grow spiritually in the process. Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth, Matthew 6. Instead, store up treasures for yourself in heaven, where moth and rust cannot steal or destroy, or the stock market cannot destroy. How do you do that? By being an axe to disciple. Earnestly seeking out the scriptures in prayer and fellowship, meeting needs, serving and loving everyone else. That's what stores up your spiritual wealth. That's how you get yours. By giving yours away. Let's pray. Lord, the world around us tells us to build our kingdom. And it's tempting. It's appealing. Sometimes it's fun. But at the heart of it is a realization 
that we're never really all on our own. Help us to realize that. Help us to realize it all belongs to you anyway. Help us to realize we completely belong to you anyway. And that following you means having the mindset of Christ. Following you means doing what you did, not considering equality be something to be grasped. You became one of us.